Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and welcome to this episode of The Christopher Perrin Show, where we're going to consider the great idea of virtue. It's a master idea. We're not always sure what we mean when we use the word virtue, are we? Well, we're going to define it, and we're going to explore it, and we're going to consider why it is one of the great aims of education. Education is often considered to be the cultivation of virtue. Thanks for joining me. Hi, this is Christopher Perrin, and welcome to this podcast episode, which is on the great idea of virtue. What is virtue? It's another one of these words that is a kind of an echo of an echo. We use the word, we talk about um, virtual reality, we talk about um, virtue signaling. It, the word is in our vocabulary, but it's traditional and well-recognized older meaning, well, maybe it's not that well-recognized. Virtue. Um, When some folks think of this word virtue, they think about, well, the Victorian era and straight-laced morality from the age of Queen Victoria. We think about the virtuous woman, which, well, means a woman who doesn't sleep around. So it sometimes connotes a kind of prudishness virtue, but that's not what it has traditionally meant. Virtue is a strong word because it comes from virtus in Latin, which means courage, manliness, but it also means excellence of any kind. In fact, the Greek word for which virtus is a translation was erete, and erete in Greek was also this very important word, for example, that, that, that connotes excellence, human excellence of all kinds. Could I say of virtually all kinds? Odysseus, for example, in the Odyssey has a number of human excellences. He is good at, say, slaughtering an ox and making a barbecue. That was Erite. He was a great navigator. He knew how to build a ship, sail a ship, command men. Well, that was considered erite. He was also a pretty good athlete, pretty fast. And if you've read the end of the Odyssey, extremely good and lethal with a bow and arrow. But he could also kind of on the spot give a great extemporaneous oration before a prince or king. He was a great rhetor. And that was considered erite or excellence. So you see, even in this uh, great work by Homer, erite, or virtue, is a broad concept of realizing one's full humanity. And this word virtue and this idea of virtue was one of the great aims of education. Virtue and eloquence and wisdom were the three typical standard great aims of uh, the educated life. So... Have you thought about that with your own life and students, your own children? Education is the cultivation of virtue? Well, how can it be that? We don't even know what virtue is. To further define virtus from the Latin, it's from the Latin vir and then virtus. The Latin word vir, V-I-R, simply meant man. And so you know, coming into one's own as a human being, whether a man or a woman, was virtus. And yes, it could mean courage, as in a man who was manly, but it meant 
excellence of all kinds. And this excellence could be divided into various categories, and it was. So we have, for example, the moral virtues. The moral virtues are virtues that we acquire that help us to become fully human in regards to our own capacities, but particularly our relationships with other humans or our neighbors. And the four cardinal virtues that defined the moral man to the Greeks and Romans, and picked up by the Christians as well, were these four. They were prudence or wisdom, could be translated either way. Uh, often in the, in the Latin, it would be prudencia. Uh, in the Greek, it would be phronesis, prudence or wisdom, and then justice, temperance, and courage. If you could grow in these four areas, grow fully in these four areas, you'd be considered to be kind of an ideal human being, according to the virtue tradition of the Greeks and the Romans. And the end of an education was to fully mature in these four, four areas. I, we, it's hard to define virtue, but it's hard to define prudence or wisdom as well. It's hard to define temperance. Who knows what temperance is anymore? Well, we'll get to those in this podcast. But for right now, we're looking at the general idea of virtue and the four cardinal virtues, which were considered to be hinge virtues. In other words, virtues on which everything else in humanity seemed to revolve from cardo cardinus, which meant hinge. Now you're thinking, why was the cardinal, the red, the red bird, the cardinal called a cardinal? It wasn't because they, because they have, have hinged claws or something. It was because, no, the Roman, uh, the, Catholic, the Catholic cardinals would wear red, and they were considered to be uh, prepared for martyrdom, and they were considered to be kind of the hinges of the Catholic Church. So the red robes of the cardinal gave way to the red cardinal that you see, say, in the state of Virginia or here in Pennsylvania. So the hinge virtues were these four cardinal virtues. There's already an episode on wisdom. Just to tell you a little bit about temperance. Temperance is that virtue that neither uh, exceeds to do too much or does too little. It finds a kind of moderated mean and knows how to avoid defect and excess. The, 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 the virtue of, of, of courage or fortitude was, well, being strong in the midst of things that might cause you to quail and fear and not go forward, but to stand against fear, to stand against intimidation, to stand against your own fears and your own laziness and your own concerns and go forward doing a good thing, even when it might be difficult to do so. And that leaves justice. And justice was simply understanding what human beings deserve and are owed, your neighbors, your citizens, and giving them that which they deserve and owe, are owed. So there you have it. Those are the four. And, well, I didn't mention wisdom. Wisdom is that sense of comprehensively understanding how the world works part to whole, and knowing what to do in various circumstances, knowing what to do and what to say based on experience, learning, friendship, study. It was a slow, slowly acquired virtue, and it was considered often to be that which governed all of the other virtues. Prudencia, prudence. So these four cardinal virtues were very common. They were, they were broken up into these moral virtues, but also they could be expressed intellectually in the rule of our minds or reason. So the intellectual or academic virtues 
included these cardinal virtues, but also some others. For example, in addition to courage and temperance, which needed to be a part of what you do as a student, sometimes you have to be courageous to take the next step, even under the guidance and coaching of a, of a teacher, to do the next thing when it seems hard. That takes courage. That takes fortitude. Students need to have it. It's an intellectual virtue as well as a moral virtue. Temperance, of course, is, a, is avoiding excess or defect. Laziness would be a vice, therefore. And students need to show temperance and overcome their laziness, which might require some courage. But they also should avoid going vainly beyond what they should seek to do. A 10-year-old ought not to be jumping into algebra. He needs to master each step and progress his way first by the stream, then to the river, and then to the sea. That's temperance. But students also should display a kind of humility, uh, of the virtue of humility before the great museum of learning. They should learn to see that their knowledge is small in light of everything that could be known and that they need a teacher. They need instruction. They need help. Isn't that true of all of us? We never really get to the point where we become masters of all knowledge. And so there's always a kind of humility that should characterize our life as a student, as an ongoing student, even when we're a teacher. Constancy, industry, and diligence would be another way of describing that virtue of staying with a task over a long period of time until we reach mastery and greater understanding. These would be intellectual virtues and a part of acquiring virtue in an educate, as, an, as an educated person. Then there were civic virtues. This is, these are the virtues that we need as we engage in neighborly relationships with our neighbors, our friends, and fellow citizens. And you can see that justice needs to be present here, too, as a civic virtue, giving to each person what they deserve. That means a kind of distributive justice in which we share the wealth that we acquire as a people and have means of blessing everybody in our commonwealth, and also a kind of well, retributive or punitive justice when sometimes what must be given is a kind of punishment for wrongdoing for the greater good of our society. So justice is present. Think about all of our, com our, our commentary and our concerns about justice today in the 21st century. A deep study of just what justice is, how it can be given, is very much worth our study right now. But there's also a kind of, well, enterprise that's a a virtue of citizens today, and that we should, we should make sure that we are seeking to help others by using our freedoms to, to create, to explore, and to be adventuresome, and to try to do something that would bless everybody in our commonwealth, a kind of resourcefulness. And there's also a kind of responsibility that comes as a civic virtue to stay informed to give ourselves to, to keeping up with what is happening in our society so that we can properly and wisely speak into the del deliberations and concerns and, and decisions that are before us as a body politic. So there are civic virtues. Just think about, well, let's call it citizenship and respect. There's a place for listening to others, for hearing one another out, for having thoughtful deliberation and discussion where we truly weigh matters before we decide. And it seems to me that often we are quick to judge, quick to decide, and already seem to know what, we're, what, what should be done before there's any deliberation or discussion. Okay, so moral virtues, intellectual virtues, civic virtues. 
there were also there was also another category of virtues um, called the theological virtues, and this, of course, is something that's come because of the advent of Christianity into the world. A lot of the Christian moralists and theologians and philosophers who looked at the the classical Greek Greco-Roman tradition of the cardinal virtues looked at that and said, this is actually quite good. In fact, the virtues that we read about in a lot of the classical literature seems to be kind of affirmed by what we read, say, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so they thought that the four cardinal virtues were quite important, but really would come into their own when they were informed by the three theological virtues. And you find these in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. These were virtues that come to us through the revelation of Christ and his incarnation. And it calls us to something beyond just trying to perfect ourselves morally by uh, cultivating these four cardinal virtues. There's a sense in which not only do we need these kind of natural virtues, the four cardinal ones, but we need some kind of gracious, well, supernatural virtues that come with the aid of God himself, that we might actually love our neighbor, not just seek to do him justice or her justice, but to to really love to the point where we would sacrifice and go the extra mile and give away our cloak to our neighbor. Or if you read about the parable of the Good Samaritan, bind up the wounds of our neighbor and take care of them in some pretty significant ways as we love our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, Augustine said that without love, the four cardinal virtues don't really come into their own and fully bloom and flower. And he says that each of the four cardinal virtues can be seen as love in action and find themselves really fully realized as love in action. Prudence, say, being love, knowing, discerning just what to love and how, how to love and, and in what measure. Temperance being knowing how far to go with our love and who, whom to love and whom not to love and so forth. All of, the, all of the cardinal virtues to Augustine are manifestations of love. So it's good to know these, uh, the, you know, the, the four cardinal virtues and the three theological virtues and understand that they're really important in the tradition. It's also worth noting this fact about the virtues. They were often considered to be formed by habit. Aristotle says, says this most clearly in his book, The Nicomachean Ethics. And you'll see it affirmed by the Christian writers as well. Even though we receive a kind of supernatural grace from God to become to seek to be good, we're never perfectly good because we're fallen. But we still need to exert effort and be mentored and to be exhorted and taught in order to attain to what we might call the spiritual, spiritual virtues. I think those of you who are in the Christian tradition might know Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-respect, etc., self-control, etc., well, how do these things come about? Well, they come about by the Holy Spirit, and yet there's a cooperative engagement by the Christian, depending on the Holy Spirit, and his own exercise of his will to seek to be obedient and, 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 and good with God's help. Read the Sermon on the Mount. If your right hand offends you, cut it off and throw it from you. If your eye offends you, take it out and throw it from you. Of course, this is a hyperbole, but there's a sense that we have to make some decisions ourselves. So, 
it, there's this habituation. Christians might call it discipleship, mentorship, and other things. But Aristotle says, essentially in so many words, we are what we do every day. That, you know, we need to engage ourselves in using practical wisdom to decide to do, using our wills, what we consider to be morally good, right, and just. Habit. And that comes from a Latin word, habitus, which is related to a verb, habitare, which means to live or to dwell. It's almost as if you live and dwell in your habits. So how do we cultivate habits of right thinking and doing? Well, it comes with experience, with teaching, with study, and with contemplation. So even Aristotle says in his Nicomachean Ethics that the happy life is the contemplative life when a person is at leisure to think about the things that are most worthwhile, the true, the good, the beautiful, to read history and philosophy, to study what it means to, to study the moral life and to fill one's mind with thoughts that are edifying and good, to do philosophy, which is to seek after wisdom and to love it. So someone like Augustine and Aquinas could look at this Greek tradition in Aristotle and affirm much of it, but then say, ah, we must add to this the grace that comes to us in the Christian tradition through the gift of God. There's a kind of supernatural aid that all of us need to be virtuous. So while we want to be temperate and we want to be just and we want to be prudent, we also want to be holy, and that's going to require help and aid from God himself. Just a word about prudence. Prudence is often pictured, personified, as you know, one of the great virtues, and, and according to Aristotle, the virtue, the mother of all virtues, and the virtue that governs all of the others, prudentia, or in the Greek, phronesis. It's often pictured as a woman looking into a mirror. Why? Because prudence is a kind of self-knowledge. You require, you, 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 you can uh, remember uh, Socrates saying, know thyself. We look into the mirror to know who we are. Uh, that we might be able to properly uh, exercise our will and conform it to the good. But the personification of prudence also often has that woman being two-faced. In other words, there's a face looking at the mirror, but often there's a face painted on the back of her head because prudence looks to the past to understand our present condition and even to predict the future. Prudential wisdom is based on a study of past wisdom so that we could know what to do in the present and the future. And that is a kind of human excellence, is it not? To know somebody who knows a lot of history, has read the great literature, so is well acquainted with the human heart and has sympathy for it, who has been, as it were, mentored by the great thoughts, the great books, the great ideas through the experience that comes to us personally and by reading the experiences of many who have gone before us, that is history, we come to know something about what it, li- what, what it means to live a virtuous and dignified and good and noble life and to also know something about what a vicious life is. And so we should conclude with just a com- some comments about that. Harmony is what we seek as we li- live the virtu- try to live a virtuous life, having 
all aspects of our personality, our learning, our understanding of the past, the present, and the future in a kind of balanced harmony that is good and a harmonious soul and a soul that is in harmony with the world as it is given to us. But there's a kind of discord that we also sense in our own lives, and we're trying to resolve that discord into this kind of moral or virtuous harmony. So we can think of the virtuous life as a kind of harmonized life. But there's discord and there's disorder. Augustine says that we should order our loves and our affections. But when our affections become disordered and corrupted and distorted, well, we're not in harmony. We have discord. We have we have the opposite of peace in our lives. That's because there's something called vice. Each one of these virtues has its own corresponding vice, and that would be the vicious life if we follow those vices. So virtue and vice need to be considered together. You know some of the opposites. What's the opposite of wisdom? Well, it's folly, right? Well, what's the opposite, say, of courage or fortitude? Well, it's cowardice. What's the opposite of temperance? Well, it's unrestrained action of any any kind, because temperance is a restrained, ordered action. And what's the opposite of justice? Well, it's the corruption of justice or injustice, and it takes many forms as well. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode of The Christopher Perrin Show, where we've considered the great idea of virtue. We'll be looking at many other virtues in future episodes, and we'll also be looking at the idea of vice, just as we have to name and explore and understand the virtues. We also have to understand the corresponding vices. Join me for some of those later episodes on The Christopher Parent Show. Thanks for watching. This podcast is brought to you by the True North Podcast Network, produced by Classical Academic Press. For more information on The Christopher Parent Show, and other shows on the True North Podcast Network, visit us on the web at www.truenorth.fm.